Welcome to Founders and Friends with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today I have a great guest, Jeff Samuels from Founder Shields. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Scott. So Founder Shields does insurance for startups. They're a provider we use all the time. Awesome people, very quick, really nice web interface. And they're one of the Cruise Consulting like go-to partners. So I want to have Jeff on to kind of talk about what Founder Shield does. Talk about what startups should look for in insurances. There's all this, these different kinds. There's workers' comp. There's general liability. There's errors and emissions. All this stuff. So we're going to go through all these topics so that you folks know what kind of insurance your startup needs. Make sense? Makes sense. Sounds good. Cool. So maybe tell the audience just a little bit about yourself. Like, How did you get an insurance business? How did Founder yeah. Shields start? So I've been in the tech business for the past 10 years. Um, started really more on the affiliate marketing side. Um, so I did a lot of kind of ad agency work, which transitioned into mobile technology. I've worked at uh, mobile app developers, a really great company called Branding Brand, where we were building uh, e-commerce apps for companies like Sephora and Crate and & Barrel and Ralph Lauren. The next company I worked at, a company uh, business called uh, Xtify, which was uh, hyper-location-based push notifications. Huh. So super niche business. Um, ended up being acquired by IBM, Whoa, which was nice. uh, which was fun and definitely any uh, a learning experience for any young entrepreneur to to be part of an acquisition. We're a team of about fourteen, uh, pretty significant you know acquisition number. So amazing learning experience. Uh, one of the things they told us immediately at IBM was. When you're acquired, you either stay there and you have a career here for 30 years or you're an entrepreneur at heart and, you know, you, you, you get the bug and you leave. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was totally me. Uh, I think I, I took what I, I needed to learn for about a year and a half. Meanwhile, my father back in, in New York um, has always been in the insurance business, always kind of chirping. This is a great industry. You should get involved. Wanted nothing to do with it. I'm a tech guy. <laughs> I, like, I love the startup space. And the innovation for me just was not there. Um, while is that I, because you hadn't got into it? Because I always find like the way we approach counting is kind of like that, where if you looked on the outside, you think it's super boring, but we think right. it's like the coolest thing ever because we're implementing all the new cool tools right. and really, we're, this sounds really dorky to say, but we're like on the, we are the cutting edge for startup accounting. Totally. And it's like these boring industries can sometimes be really exciting. I think it, it changed for me once I got my license and once I got more ingrained in the business. And really quick, the the reason why I made the transition from IBM to uh, Founder Shield, I met Benji and Carl, the two co-founders, uh, about four years ago uh, while I was doing some consulting work on the side. And they were at a co-working space called The Alley, which funny enough, we're in the new alley in New York City today. Um, and I met Benji and Carl in passing, and they said, we're doing insurance for tech startups. Light bulb went off in my mind. I said, this is a brilliant idea. And these guys were aggressive too. They were, you know, sitting at the entrance of the co-working space. They were, they weren't soliciting companies, but they were basically making their presence known. Um, and it stuck with me. So when I was ready to make a change from IBM, I reached out to, to Benji and Carl. Um, and they were two people. They had just hired a marketing person named Samantha Rubin. And it was the, the perfect time for a VP of sales to come on. Uh, so that was kind of my shot at uh, you know leaving IBM, going back to the startup space. Funny enough, it was in insurance. Um, but once I really got into the thick of it, um, you really see kind of the the interesting part of of the business, which is learning kind of every intricate detail that a startup kind of has. Their fundraising, their cap tables, their 
projected revenues for the year, their competitors, their clients, where their vision is, um, because you need all these pieces to underwrite different policies. Yeah. I also suspect like you see what could go wrong. Like at some level, that's one of the values we provide. And I think you guys are the same way. It's like the companies come to us, they have a good idea where they want to go and what they want to do, but they don't know what could go wrong. And so we kind of keep them on the rails. And I think you do too. It's like, I, cause I come to you and I ask what kind of insurance these guys right. need or, you know, and you're like, right. you're the guy who keeps our clients on the rails in terms of insurance. Like you make sure we don't mess anything up. Well, that's the goal, Scott. That's the goal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, the obviously the venture, the VC guys, the angels, uh, people like Cruise Consulting, you guys do a great job of, you know, providing that kind of feedback and just um, recognition that, hey, insurance is something you need to take seriously. Uh, and obviously for, for many entrepreneurs, there's a, there's a stigma there. People don't really want to talk insurance. Uh, and, and I think... Part of the reason why we do so well in the startup space and the ecosystem is because we understand that. And we are former startup people too. But we also know that when you're starting to see some meaningful revenue, you're closing enterprise clients, you're raising capital, you have something that you need to protect. Yeah. And that's really where we step in. And found, founders and entrepreneurs are ready to talk insurance and, and really kind of hear what we have to say. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And I mean, we, we, we eat the dog food. We're yeah. a major referral source to you guys, I'm yes. sure. So, um, so maybe talk about kind of go through the kind of things a startup needs to think about when getting insurance and, mm-hmm. and then we can slowly kind of get into the different buckets of insurance. Yeah. You said that in your previous comment, like there's things you need to protect. There's things you need to worry about. Yeah. What are those things you need to protect against? Mm-hmm. Who do you need to protect? Sure. Um, so I think, Really, the, the rule of thumb, and especially for software businesses, whenever you're live, whenever you're consuming data, whenever you are you know, having real customers test your product, there's a risk there. It doesn't mean that that's the exact moment that you should have a policy in place, but soon after. Uh, and it's really a matter, you know, for us, a lot of times, um, you know, young companies come to us and say, hey, we have our first enterprise deal. This, this happens... I can't tell you how many times a day, but we have inbound emails from companies. We just landed a massive deal. They have this huge section in our contract for insurance requirements. What the hell does this mean? How do we go through this? You know, what, 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 what does all this mean? And basically, what we do is provide feedback. We help companies negotiate the insurance sections of the contract. Mm, I What's, didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. So a lot of times you'll see you know, larger businesses have kind of a boilerplate contract and they'll request like $25 million in cyber liability limits. Meanwhile, the contract is maybe a $20,000 contract or it's a you know, proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we like to kind of help out and figure out, is this within reason? Are these coverages actually applicable to the, the business and the service that you're selling? Um, so that, that's a lot of kind of the first conversation is I have a contract. I'm trying to close this client. What the hell do I do? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like one of the trigger points is closing a big enterprise customer. They're yes. going to require what general liability or what kind of insurance is that? It really it depends on the business. It's usually what we call our bootstrapper package, which is our general liability, um, commercial general liability, um, Arizona emissions, also known as professional liability, and then cyber liability. Mm-hmm. It's not definitive. Again, it depends on the type of company and who they're doing business with. Uh, but if you're talking about you know a SaaS or an e-commerce big data company, a lot of times you're going to see those Arizona emissions, cyber liability, general liability requirements, which you know we can help kind of guide and provide feedback. 
what does this mean and what's the right way to get a policy in place yep. to cover these things. Yeah. I'm familiar with those. We have this, we have all that stuff too. And it's right. like, so maybe, maybe talk about, well, the, there's one other trigger event that I see quite a bit and that's mm-hmm. moving into a space. Yes. Like the landlord Absolutely. will require something. Yep. What does the landlord usually mm-hmm. require? Yep. So for co-working spaces for, you know, if you have your own small office or shared space, usually general liability is required. The, the basic insurance definition there, it's bodily injury and property damage to third parties, which basically means if you're a software company and you're moving to a space, obviously the, the risk is low. But what we want to protect is if you have clients, if you have investors, partners coming to the office, your kind of basic slips and falls, um, protecting the property in the office. You know, <laughs> Throw a raging right. launch party. You're, you're going right. to need this. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, you spill a beer on your uh, MacBook Pro, <laughs> that sort of thing. That's your property coverage. So, you know, depends on the business. General liability gets more interesting for companies in the Internet of Things space, for example, mm. or maybe a hardware company. Um, that's when products liability is actually more of the relevant coverage within general liability. So always depends on the business, but you're right, Scott, for you know companies starting out who are moving into uh, new offices, general liability is usually the basic requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see that um, with PEOs, so companies like Trinet or um, back in New York, we work, do a lot of work with a company called JustWorks and a few other PEOs. They usually require general liability to get their programs moving oh, as well. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so general liability is... Protecting basically third parties that come to your office correct. or use your product, things like that. That's correct. And then can you talk about um, professional liability or errors sure. in omission? Mm-hmm. I mean, at Cruise Consulting, we're a special kind of corporation. We're an accounting corporation. Yes. regulated in mm-hmm. California. So we have that, and it's a yep. very specific kind. But maybe talk about your standard startup. Like, mm-hmm. what are they looking at there? Sure. I think, actually, when I explain professional liability, also known as errors in omissions, I use this a similar example, which is Founder Shields, a, a professional organization. We're licensed insurance brokers, um, so by law we have to carry yeah. um, Arizona emissions. For doctors, it's their medical malpractice. Uh, same thing with lawyers. So it's really any professional service uh, that has an expertise in a certain area that is um, delivering their product and their customer is making financial or any sort of business decision based on that, that's going to be what the coverage is for. And if there's any sort of financial damage, damage to the brand or, or the reputation of the business, that would be kind of a quintessential professional liability claim. Mm-hmm. Where it gets interesting for you know Silicon Valley, Silicon Alley, um, when you look at SaaS companies, big data companies, um, really any software business, um, Arizona Emissions professional liability is going to cover the platform-related issues. So if you have you know, your, your typical kind of statement of work, MSA, whatever your terms are to you know, bind this contract between the business and their client, FounderShield is going to deliver X result to Cruise Consulting mm-hmm. by you working with us. Same thing with the SaaS company. You know, you're going to be able to have these type of analytics on a monthly basis and you're going to have 99.9% uptime. If there's any sort of outage in that platform, um, if there's any sort of um, downtime where there's damage to their customer because of that, that would be a quintessential professional liability claim. Really interesting. The underwriters um, in the tech space um, have gotten a little bit more savvy, which is good. 
Uh, they understand SaaS companies now. They're they're getting more hip to, to mm-hmm. technology, mm-hmm. and they also understand that cyber liability and and the data kind of goes hand in hand with the platform. Yeah, how do those intersect? Because that's so. To recap real fast, a SaaS company or consumer internet company actually does need errors and omissions. Yes. Theoretically, because they have a, an agreement with their users or their customers to provide a certain level of service or a certain kind of service. And if they violate that, that's they could correct. be on the hook. Okay. That's That's, correct. that's really, really yep. helpful. I actually didn't know that. That's, that's really good to know. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then how does cyber liability, which we also have, yep. which is also like a hot button thing right yep. now, how does that interact with errors and omissions? Yep. So today, the underwriters are, are basically combining the policies. There's, there's obviously a lot of gray area if there's some sort of glitch in the platform and information gets hacked as well. Is it a cyber claim? Is it a professional liability claim? Um, so the underwriters to, to mitigate their own risk basically tied both policies together. Uh, so that they don't have to fight over who's doing what or... Right. And I think, you know, again, it, it, it's, it goes hand in hand. It's, if the platform fails, there's a good chance that there's going to be sensitive PII that's breached there. Um, so from a coverage perspective, the, the language has gotten a bit broader, um, which is good because more more claims are covered. Um, Founder Shield and the brokerage job should always be to fight to make sure you're you're getting paid for those sort of claims. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, there's a significant gray area. So because the, the policies are combined together, it, it's a little bit easier to get things covered. Uh, and it's not, you know, he said, she said, where, you know, this is professional liability, this is cyber, it's, this is your, your technology coverage that should pick this claim. Got it. Okay. That's very, very helpful. Okay. There's a couple other insurance pieces or kinds of insurance I want to talk about a little bit later, but that's sure. like the core. Yep. So talk about, I mean, I think one of the reasons that Vanessa actually is the one who found you guys okay. and, and she... You know, we had dealt with a lot of insurance brokers who didn't really understand the startups. Mm-hmm. And so we would have these like long, drawn out conversations sure. and it was very painful and took a lot of time for us, mm-hmm. cost our clients money, which we didn't, we didn't want to do, you know, right. and then we found you. So like mm-hmm. how, when you approach a startup, you talked about certain packages you have and mm-hmm. things like that. Like, can you talk about how you diagnose a startup and then sure. how you determine where they fit in your packages and yeah. kind of why those packages are set up the way they are? Mm-hmm. In a nerdy insurance yes. way, this is, this is my favorite part of the job, <laughs> and it's you're doing an assessment. You're this is where we get the information. Who are your clients? What does this software do? You know, where where do you guys see yourself going within the year? Because that's the policy period, a year long policy. Kind of getting those imperative details to to get a full kind of snapshot of the business, um, and that helps us diagnose. It's it's a lot of times the size of the contract. Again, who you know, who's buying your software, and then we're able to, you know, based on the the two thousand plus other clients that we work with, make a diagnosis based on similar businesses and similar policies that we have in place. Uh, but it's it's important, and I think something, you know, us at Founder Shield, we we truly believe in. We consider ourselves a fintech company. We're very much in the technology space, uh, but you need that human element because you need to have a conversation explain kind of the risks that you see because you know from from just a a basic conversation it's going to be very hard for us to know everything so it's good to have that phone call that in-person kind of coffee or meeting to really diagnose the business understand the risks that both the entrepreneur and founder shield Mm -hmm. see and then we'll go into what coverages make sense for that business that makes perfect sense and like the way we usually work with you guys is 
this is also a differentiator because mm-hmm. like we couldn't find other brokers who do this. We actually would fill out an online form on yes. your website mm-hmm. and it's very, it's kind of customized and it's like, Hey, here are the things we're looking for, yeah. da, 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 which actually is great because we can put something in action very quickly and then you guys give us feedback really quickly. Mm-hmm. It's in, it, it's kind of, it's a nice tool. I congratulate, you know, kudos to you guys for <laughs> building you. that. Thank so you. you guys get the information and then you look at it and you're like, okay, this might be a, mm-hmm. a fit for the bootstrapper package or another yep. package. Is that basically how it works? Mm-hmm. Basically. So we have a, a proprietary uh, application, which um, Benji Markoff, our CEO and Carl Nidbala, COO did a, a phenomenal job of basically scouring the market, you know, looking at the top 20, even probably even more like applications from companies like AIG and Travelers and Hartford and CNA, what are the imperative questions that they ask on their form? Mm-hmm. Where's the fat that we can cut out to make it faster and easier? Mm-hmm. And we basically have that form that feeds into our CRM. And then we have the ability to export that data in a more efficient way to our underwriters and carriers. Um, so you're right. It, it creates more of a kind of smooth process, you know, in terms of gathering data from the client then transferring that to Founder Shield, digesting that, and then out to the underwriters. Um, and basically, every time a form comes in, myself, my team on the, on the sales side, we review all of the forms. We have a, a specific kind of task in our CRM that we're qualifying the deals. So we read through thoroughly. Uh, we make suggestions on the limits that should be mm-hmm. uh, looked at, the carriers that we should also take a look at and get quotes from, the different coverages that are needed, some coverages that maybe the client did not think about. And then usually, if we did not have a conversation previously, we'll reach out and set something up after the application's filled out to make sure we have that conversation do the diagnosis and then get it out to market. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And yeah. just make sure everyone understands the terminology. The carriers are basically the insurance companies. That's the, correct. Like, the way that kind of us normal humans think of insurance yep. companies. Yep. The underwriters are people at the carriers who that's basically correct. are determining kind of how much risk mm-hmm. this is and what we should charge and that kind of stuff. Exactly. You, you also mentioned a couple other terms, limits. Yes. Can you talk about limits? Because this is a question yeah. I ask every time I talk to you mm-hmm. and I, all of our clients ask us. What are limits and what should they be for a startup? Great question. Limits are the total amount of coverage for your policy. Usually for most policies, minimum limit is a million bucks. So a lot of our companies and the the cruise consulting companies start at a million dollars. General liability, important to know. Usually the minimum requirement you'll see is a million per occurrence, two million in aggregate. Um, And it's basically the amount of coverage that you could potentially need for the year. Um, So we're looking at things such as projected revenue, um, size of your contract, um, length of your contract, uh, projected uh, kind of sales overseas and in the U.S. Uh, So it gives us kind of a basis to say, okay, you know, this company is projecting to do a million dollars in the States. It's not exactly linear every time, but based on the vertical they're in, based on their clientele, will make a recommendation on the the amount of coverage they need for that year. Mm-hmm. Don't you ask also ask like about employee number of employees and things yes. like that? I remember mm-hmm. that from our application. Yep. Employee headcount usually comes into play. Um, general liability it's important. It's not one of the determining factors. What workers comp the employee headcount is usually more uh, more relevant. Ah. As well as um, employment practices liability, <laughs> which um, is basically coverage kind of HR related. So you're hiring, firing, discrimination, uh, harassment yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Um, so yes, there, there are workers' comp, EPLI are the two coverages that um, employee headcount is important. 
that workers comp was something I want to talk about later. Yep. So in terms of like you said, you know, a million dollar limit mm-hmm. per and per occurrence. Yes. Meaning basically if someone slips and falls in your office twice mm-hmm. in like two months apart, you're covered on both of them, right? So would you recommend like two million dollars of insurance with a million dollars per occurrence? Like what's the magic number there? Sure. I mean, again, it's, it's a hard question because it depends yeah, on, on the the, company. the coverage and the company. General liability for a lot of our mutual clients, again, it's it's the mi- uh, minimum limits because the the risk is a lot lower um, for software businesses who yeah. are in a co-working space or shared space. Um, a lot of times we're looking at the E&O and, and cyber limits. And again, not that to me, when you're a software business, that's your most important coverage. It's going to continue to be no matter how large you scale, that's really gonna be kind of the crux of, this is the product that we're selling, and this is the coverage that's going to protect the product that we're selling. So oftentimes, even if a company is in its infancy, uh, we'll recommend maybe $2 million, $3 million limits to start, because they're a fintech company. Yeah. So they're working mm-hmm. with a lot of financial data and there's there's a larger risk there than a, a typical, you know, six month old startup. Yeah. How much what's the ballpark dollar amounts mm-hmm. for like a million dollars or two million dollars of general liability and two million dollars sure. of ENO? Yep. So GL always based on projected revenue, square footage of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, if it's a you know hardware business, products liability comes into play there. I'd say for you know, co-working spaces, a team of ten people. You're maybe looking at fifteen hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, could be less for GL. For GL. Yeah. For GL. You know, cyber is a little bit uh, more easy to predict. Um, we see at the million dollar limit, which is the minimum pricing, is anywhere from I'd say fifteen hundred on uh, the lower end to about five six thousand on the higher end uh, per year, and that's per million. Uh, and again, it's usually based on the vertical. Uh, and especially for the ENO cyber, really important to have the right protocols when it comes to your data. So encrypting your information, making sure you have the right takedown procedures, terms and conditions tend to be massive, um, especially if it's like a, a marketplace business, because that really kind of outlines who's liable for yeah. what. Um, so a lot of times the, the underwriters will request the terms and conditions to kind of you know add that as another piece when they go to to price out a bit uh you know cyber policy that's actually i mean that's a good point because sometimes people will ask when they before they sign our engagement letter they'll want to mm-hmm. take some stuff out of our engagement letter or things like that and actually most of the stuff that they want to take out is all actually mandated by our insurance company right and so i i kind of like chuckle and i'm like well i, don't, I got better things to do than mess around with the engagement letter anyways but just so you know i can't change this because our insurance company mandates it right i can't void our insurance right which actually is great because it ends the conversation very quickly. Right. Uh, but people don't always realize that. They don't realize that the insurance company dictates a lot of the terms or the terms right. you have to play by. Well, I think you know it's important legal and obviously accounting and finance and insurance usually work in lockstep. Yeah. Um, so it's not so much that the carriers are saying these must be the terms, but if you have a great law firm and you have favorable terms and you're protecting your business and you're saying... You know, if you're a marketplace business and, and you're saying that whatever sold on the website, the the vendor has to have their own insurance and cover their products and adhere to these you know certain protocols, those sort of things go a long way uh, and often save 
young companies a lot of money. Yeah. So I was going to say, they'll, they'll insure anything. It's just yeah. what cost exactly. they do the insurance. Exactly. Okay. So you're thinking your basic recommendation is a couple, a million, $2 million of general liability, mm-hmm. a couple million dollars of E&O, yep. cyber, and the company's exactly. pretty much set. That helps. So talk real quick. Talk that's like your baseline bootstrapper yep, package. It's our bootstrapper right? package. And Correct. then what's what what's what are, where do we go up? Where's the Cadillac come yep. into into play? Mm-hmm. So the the next we we have two other packages. They're really used for guidance. So it's not you need every single one of these coverages, but usually if you're in the bootstrapping stage, you need general liability, ENO, cyber. Next stage is is the venture stage, as we call it. So maybe you raise a little bit of money which means you'll be looking at general liability, Arizona Missions, cyber, and now directors and officers comes into play, as well as employment practices liability. Directors and officers, employment practices liability, it's also known as management liability when they're grouped together, similar to E&O mm-hmm. cyber. D&O, again, for our, our friends in SF and, and New York City, you know this is one that's going to come up from, from the venture capitalist all the time. If you're raising money and it's significant money, which usually from both of our cities it is, um, they'll they'll require you to get directors and officers. Um, and is it to protect the actual uh, the board member, or is it to protect the fund, or who are they? Who are we protecting? Yeah, it's a good question. So it, it actually protects both. You know, first and foremost, it, it protects all the directors and officers, basically the C level people um, in that business, but also it extends to the investors. Um, it does things like uh, protect your personal assets. There's something called side A coverage. There's also coverage in there to protect and, and basically uh, cover the business in any sort of legal setting if the, the company is sued. Um, and then also for our fintech companies and, and businesses like Cruise and, and Foundershield who are working in regulated industries, there's something called side C coverage, which basically protects the business if you're sued from a, a government entity oh, um, like FINRA or SEC or something like that. Again, fintech companies, you know, super important. The DNO is usually there because A, they raise capital, and B, because they're in that specific space. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. And again, we do like Series A, Series B companies a lot. So yep. I don't see all of them. I, it's kind of 50 50 on whether they have DNO or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if that's just because of the, the board members care or don't care. There's always this other feeling amongst the board members where they, can, they feel like they can withdraw from the board very quickly. Right. And get out of a lawsuit. And I, I am not a lawyer, so I don't even know if that's valid or not. I've seen right. it happen in my career, like board members dropping off a board. Right. But is that, are they excused from the lawsuit that way, or is it just harder to get them? I, I would say Founder Shield's answer, and it, a traditional ins- insurance brokerage would say absolutely not. They're, they're still going to be liable, responsible. Yeah. I would say the same. And again, I, I think you know we understand that obviously budgets come into play, and usually that's a big piece of what I do is you know okay working with ten thousand dollars for the year this is phase one if we get into phase two these are the next coverages that are relevant dno is super important and i don't you know i can't answer from a legal standpoint if that board member would be able to excuse himself from the lawsuit yeah Uh, but usually in new york at least we're seeing a lot of dno policies uh, because the the investors want to protect them themselves and they understand that you know, they might be a bigger asset than the business at that point because the business is still young. Um, so they're actually more of the, the risk, uh, which is why they, they sometimes require it from their investments. They're a bigger target. Exactly. Yeah, that makes exactly. total sense. This is super helpful. So one other, you kind of touched on a little bit, workers comp. That's mm-hmm. another, like, yep. pretty much every company needs that workers comp. Can you kind mm-hmm. of explain why and what workers sure. comp does for you? Sure. 
So similar to how. Gen- By the way, we're just rolling yeah. through this. So I'm try- we're we're keeping it quick here, but uh, there's you know found- you can go to Founder Shield or you know of course you can always email us. There's tons of information on yes. the web, but this mm-hmm. we're trying to do kind of the greatest hits here so that everyone. <laughs> I will literally send you this podcast when you have these kind yes. of questions. So. But yeah, workers' comp. Why do we need it? Yep. What does it cover? Workers' comp. So similar to general liability, um, where it's going to protect basically the, the um, bodily injury, property damage for third parties. Workers' comp protects your own employees. So you know, obviously, again, we're a lot of what we do. Both of our businesses, we're in the, the software, the tech space. So you know, people are not necessarily out there on a construction site all day. Um, but super important because workers' comp state mandated. So depending on the state that you're operating in and that the business is incorporated in, there are different laws. Uh, California, for example, is notorious for having – they have difficult employment laws uh, for the employers. Um, it's favorable to the employees. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, companies, uh, especially in the on-demand and marketplace space where they're using a lot of contractors, it actually gets pretty gray and it's an interesting – time for insurance all the time it's yep. it's uh yeah and it, it is and I the mean, basic question is does this workers comp cover the contractors exactly and it's always you know gonna come down to are they working you know a full full week's work five days a week nine to five or whatever you know that that day is for that business um are they doing things like a normal employee is doing um the reason why it's a hot button issue is because if they're covered by workers comp and not by you know with your health and benefits package, it's a problem. And then you there's know, a this continuity there, right? It's exactly. Like you're basically the exactly. question you're basically asking is: Are they employees? Should they be covered? Exactly. And then you're saying on one hand, yes, my workers' comp covers them, but then on the other hand, you're mm-hmm. saying I'm not going to cover them for benefits and exactly, which which doesn't make sense, right? right. Which is which is tough for the on-demand economy. Yeah. Um, I, I have to say though, we've seen we have a lot of those companies, and mm-hmm. they're all switching to like full time. They're yep. not messing around with it. I think Uber got through mm-hmm. the window. But it feels like that window is kind of shut. Yeah, and I think from what we've seen, there's definitely a couple different solutions. Um, Carl Nidbala, our COO, recently wrote a really awesome blog post on it. So definitely recommend people checking that out. There's a couple different options. The best, the cleanest way is is to make them employees. The problem there is from a a scalability perspective, it's hard, um, and especially... You know, if people are doing, you know, deliveries of, of your furniture, for example, mm-hmm. like we see a lot of that coming out of SF New York, you know, should those people be covered as full-time employees? I don't know. It's a tough thing, but workers comp is basically the, the coverage that will cover uh, an employee if they're injured on the job. Um, disability usually goes hand in hand with workers comp. Disability is the coverage that if you are um, severely injured and you cannot come back to work. That's you know a, a coverage that goes lockstep with workers' comp. Workers' comp is basically short-term injury or you know something that is a, an ailment that you know you can take care of and you can come back to work. That would be a workers' comp policy. Yeah. And in the big startup hubs, like all of our all of our clients need it. Like mm-hmm. you know San Francisco, Palo yep. Alto, Santa Monica, New York. Yep. I mean everyone's getting it. So this is something we get a lot of questions on. Like why do I need workers' comp? Yes. And you know how do I get it? Mm-hmm. You know what what's the and then what's the the process or the quoting, you know, how do people sure. make this quote? Yep. Workers comp is based directly on your payroll, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, it's pretty linear. Um, it's usually your it's cheapest. Su- it's cheaper. super linear. It's like a, yeah. almost like a formula. Exactly. And it's when, when you start, it's usually your cheaper policy. If you scale up your staff, it can get more expensive, especially depending on the state. 
Um, but again, it, it's usually state mandated. Um, certainly recommended to check with you know your team's lawyer um, on the on the local laws there. But yeah, it's 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 based directly on payroll. It's yeah. usually the deciding yeah. factor. So you basically look at what the payroll was for a given month, or you project out, and then you know the company buys a policy for six months or a year, and right. then there's a there's kind of this process where you at the end of that time mm-hmm. period you go back and do like a quick audit. And make sure you actually had enough insurance, and if not, you get the true up. Basically, either that, way, like correct. I think we got like a hundred dollar rebate last year right. because we overbought. Which, yeah, I mean, insurance companies do provide, I guess, a, a discount or a prorated, you know, benefit if you overestimate. So if you say I'm going to do a million bucks in payroll and you do, a, you know, a hundred thousand, you're going to to be compensated at renewal. You know, so you don't have to worry every single hire or if you fire somebody, do I have to you know update my, my broker? You can, but usually at the end of the year, it's audited. Um, another important piece I did not mention before, definitely based on payroll, but it's also based on the type of work you do. Yes, so great I, point, great I, point. I, yeah. Yeah. We're talking about that a little bit. Right, so you know, we're, we're assuming you know, software businesses where we're all in the office on phones, on laptops. If you're, again, one of these on-demand companies and... You're, you're moving stuff, you're transporting goods, you're um, delivering food, you're biking. If there's a, a real physical risk, especially New York City construction workers, workers' comp is very expensive and very difficult. So if we're looking outside of kind of the traditional you know, tech startup space that, that Scott and I work in, you know, it's important to, to realize the vertical and it's important to work with your broker to make sure you guys are, or the business is categorized correctly because that's a big piece. That's where you can spend a lot of money and you can save a lot of money if you're categorized correctly. Yeah, it's a, that's a huge deal. We had a company that came in like 3X what normally, and it turns out they're like, they have a lot of people in the field mm-hmm. and that's why, yep. you know, but it's way more expensive. So. Yep. So maybe let's do a quick recap, and then you can tell the folks where they can find you For online. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So maybe knock out, do the quick recap on the different kinds of insurance so it's fresh in everybody's mind. You got it. To this. You got it. So imperatives, general liability, errors and omissions, also known as professional liability, your cyber liability. Um, once you you raise capital, you're thinking about directors and officers coverage, as well as employment practices liability. That's usually about ten employees. You start thinking about that. And then your workers' comp, depending on uh, the state laws, but usually that, that's during the first go-round. So yeah, I think always important to you know have a conversation with your broker. Hopefully it's Foundershield, but whoever you're working with, make sure that they have a full understanding of your business, who you're working with, the risks that you foresee, uh, and get their opinion on your limits. Uh, and that, that's really the best way to make sure that um, you know you have the right coverage. Uh, and again, for Founder Shield, we'd like to phase it out. So, you know, phase one looks like this. Phase two, you should be adding these two coverages uh, and, and really think about that growth of the business mm-hmm. uh, because insurance is a long term thing. You're buying it to protect your biggest asset, which is your business. Um, so, it's, it's something to take seriously. Uh, but I think if you do it right, you find the right broker, you know, you should be in, in good hands. Yeah. And then, where can everyone find you? You can find us at uh, foundershield.com. Can always give us a shout. Team at Foundershield. Uh, my email is Jeff at Foundershield.com. Uh, also, you know, Cruise Consulting. You guys can always go to Scott and, and the team over there. <laughs> we'll send. We'll just give you Jeff's email. How yeah. That? Uh, but, uh, and then you guys have a good blog. You have a good yep. tool for getting you know doing the application. Which Definitely. You really like, and I, I think most of all, you guys are just super responsive. It's awesome to work with you. Appreciate it. Likewise. Yeah. So uh, hopefully continuous uh, collaboration with with both companies. Uh, but yeah, really. 
enjoyed this and uh, hopefully, you know, can talk to some cool clients. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. And I think this is, this may have been a little bit of like eating your vegetables here and getting (laughs) a lot of information, but it's, these are questions we get every, like every Mm -hmm. day I get one of these questions. And so I'm so glad you came by. Thank you so much. And I have to say the, your passion for insurance is there. Like I can totally (laughs) see it and I hope it comes across in the podcast. It's not just the coffee, but I I appreciate the time, Scott. And, uh, you know, good to be in San Francisco. Cool. All right, Jeff. Thanks, man. Take care. Thank you.